Amen. How is everybody today? Enjoying your summer? Great. Well, we're enjoying uh, you coming out to church every Sunday, and I really appreciate that. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, all things will be added to you. So that's what you're doing. You're, pu- you're putting God first. You, yeah, you could be at the beach, but you could be all kinds of other places, but you're saying, well, God will put you first. And according to my experience, God multiplies everything else when I put Him first. You know? Amen. Uh, I'm really excited about today's message. We're going to talk about um, the reason for God's stories. Are you, are you getting something out of the series? Is it, is it helping you? Okay, good. It, it's certainly helping me because I'm, I'm becoming more aware of God's stories. I'm becoming more sensitive. But Melissa, you're, you're right here. Uh, um, I'm becoming more aware of God's stories. I'm becoming more sensitive, and I'm becoming, uh, I just, I'm going to be honest with you. Before I, I started, this series kind of started on a whim. Uh, someone told me a God story one day, and I thought, you know, I bet there's a lot of God stories in my, my church, and I'm not even aware of them. I had, I didn't know there was so much God. I really didn't. I wasn't aware that how God was so present in our lives. And we can, can't we get into this thing where we just, where, where's God? I don't know if there's a God. And when you start, but when you start telling stories, you realize God is constantly showing up in our lives. Uh, we're, we're trying here at Bethany Community Church, here, here's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to create a community of sanity. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to just be honest with you. <laughs> And there are three, three things that will give us a community of sanity. That's a focus on what is true, a focus on what is good, and a focus on what is just. True, good, just. He has shown you, O man, Micah 6, 8, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. I think that covers true, good, and just. And so... One of the things that is true, true is, truth is about facts, but truth is embodied in God. God embodies truth. God embodies goodness. God embodies justice, and he shows up in our lives. And the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So there's a lot more God responsibility than we realize. So Why does God, the question today is, why does God periodically invade our time and space environment with manifestations of his presence? I know there's that other question of why doesn't he fix everything? Why doesn't he fix everything that's wrong with the world? We talk about that a lot at Bethany Community Church, and I will talk about it again. But that's, let's let that question aside. That's a deep question and a good question. But let's set that aside for a moment. Because if God exists... He's God. He gets to be God whether we like how he's being God or not. So, so let's, just, let's just focus on why does he invade our, pres- our, our, our time and space environment with his presence? What, see, what we, here's the thing. What we need for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has already been provided. The idea that we need God to be happy is, in my opinion, totally wrong-headed. I would challenge the notion that Christians are automatically happier than atheists. I know some very happy atheists. 
So we have everything we need. God has given us this world and this environment, and we do a lot to screw it up, but he's given us all the raw material to have food, shelter, all the things we enjoy. I don't think God invents cell phones and cars and things like that. I think those are creations of mankind. He's given us intelligence. Uh, but uh, in fact, even Jesus spoke met- uh, stories that metaphorically spoke of life with God being like a landowner who went on a long journey and left us in charge. That's, Jesus told his stories three or four times in, recorded in the Gospels. And when he returned from his journey, he demanded an accounting of how well we managed his property and his assets. Matthew 25, 14, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So, so if Christianity, as defined by Christ himself, is likened to God being the absentee owner of the planet and we're the stewards of the planet, then why, for instance, do we constantly celebrate his eminence, his coming to us with song lyrics like, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And, and why are all the headlines of scripture amazing God appearances? From, from Moses' burning bush in Exodus chapter 2 to tongues appearing as of fire in Acts chapter 2? Well, I'm going to try to answer those, that question today. Is why does God show up and in, in, in interject himself into our lives? Now, I'm going to read a passage of scripture that will give us a foundation for this. And it's Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul has been taken to what was sort of a court. It, it was like a court where people were called to account. People who were, were threatening the society. Or people who they thought were going to create uh, disruption to their society in Greece. They would bring them to this place that, that uh, it was at Mars Hill in Athens. And we call it, the scripture calls it the Areopagus. The Areopagus. Everybody say Areopagus. So Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus. Acts chapter 17, verse 22, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You know, culture is very religious. I won't go off on that. That's a, that's a long subject. But the culture is very religious. We cannot resist the religious impulse. The religious impulse. And, you know, like, I know there's a lot of talk about I will I will take a slight rabbit trail. You know, there's the cancel culture everybody talks about. Well, you know, canceling is a religious impulse. Judging is a religious impulse. That's a religious symbol. Read the Old Testament. You say, well, God doesn't judge. Well, you never read the Old Testament. <laughs> so cancel culture is just, it's just humans obeying the religion. Now, it's perverted often. It's wrong often. But anyway, it's what it is. He says, for if I pass along and observe the, the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, the being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human's hands as though he needed anything, since he, since by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having predetermined allotted periods and the boundaries of, of, of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Uh, in him, 
in him we live and have our being, as even some of your poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring, being then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like the gold, silver, or stone, an image form of the art and imagination of man. In other words, God is saying, Paul is saying to, you know, you know, guys, the God that's real is much better than the God of your imagination. The God of your imagination doesn't really show up. The God of your imagination doesn't do anything, but I'm telling you there's a living God that does stuff, that does stuff. And see, even the pagans were sure that God was absolutely sure that God was involved in their lives. And in some way, holding everything together, that's why they had an altar to the unknown God, because they were sure that there was a God somewhere who was holding everything together. But what I find absolutely fascinating about this text is that Paul did not say, I'm going to pray that God will show up. He didn't say, I'm going to pray that God will, will show up and act in your life. Because see, sometimes Christians, we get the idea that God only shows up at church. Or, or he shows up just for the people who join the club, the Christian club. That's the only people he ever shows up for, is the people who join the Christian club. So we got this secret little society that gets visiting visitations from God. But you would be wrong if you think that. Because God shows up for all kinds of people, pagans, atheists, agnostics, and sometimes he shows up for Christians too. Pretty cool. <laughs> and so what amazes me though is Paul didn't say, uh, I, I, I want you to know that there's a God. Uh, he said, I want you to know that this God is already showing up. He's already revealing. So what I find absolutely fascinating, like I said, is Paul didn't say, I'm going to pray that God will show up today and reveal himself, but rather I want to introduce you to the God who's already showing up. Of course, the question we get hung up on is, can God show up? Why doesn't he fix everything? Like I said, well, I go, but that understandable quandary misses the whole reason for the God-human concept. That misses the whole reason. That's why we're not going to talk about it today. Because this is what I want to build this talk on today. I want to build it on this one sentence. And, and I think this came from Rob Bell before he lost his mind. Um, life isn't meant to be a problem we solve, but a relationship we enter. Life isn't meant to be a problem we solve, but a relationship we enter. To have a relationship with another, you know, is to be frequently included in what the other is doing. I said, I said to have a relationship with another person is to frequently be included in what they are doing. I love the little verse of scripture in the Gospels. It says, the disciples went, God working with them. Jesus said, because I go to my Father, greater works than this you do. In other words, God is doing stuff in the world. And what all this God appearance stuff is about, and what these God stories are about, they are evidences that God is inviting you to be a part of what he's doing. He's inviting you to be his friend. He's inviting you to partner in what he's doing in the world. He's making you a part of the project. He's making you a partner in the business of the kingdom. That's what's going on. There's no, listen to this, there's no greater point to this life than a full-bodied participation in the moment that we're in. 
I said, there's no greater point to this life than a full-bodied participation in the moment that we're in, including this moment right now. Including this moment right now. Including this service. Including this sermon. including God is doing something right now in this room. The presence of God is in this room doing something. Don't wander off and think about what you're having for lunch. Because God is doing something right here, right now in your life and in mine. So, I'm going to give you three things. Reasons that I believe that God shows up. Three reasons that we have God stories and God moments in our lives. And God manifests his presence in our time and space environment. Number one, God shows up to include you in the ministry of intercession. If you've been around the church, you know about the word intercession. It means praying for others. So reaching out for others. Caring for others. Being, being, a, being a part of the solution in other people's lives. The Bible says of Christ in Hebrews 7.25. He lives eternally to make intercession for us. So when God calls you to intercession. He's saying, I want, to, I want you to come and pray with me. For this person that I'm laying on your heart. I remember one day. I was driving down to Florida. This was many years ago. And uh, I, think I, was, uh, I think I was 19 or 20 years old. And I was driving down to be with my brother, who was an associate pastor in Tampa, Florida. And I was driving down that day. And this was, of course, this was way before uh, cell phones, where you kind of stayed in touch with everything. And you experienced everything in everybody else's life in real time. And, you know, like you do now. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, uh, and so I'm, I'm driving down the highway, and I kept crying. I couldn't stop crying. And I, 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 thought this is, I, I didn't know any reason to be crying. But every time I would, I, I would think, I would cry. And, 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 and of course, I, I would pray, but I didn't know what I was praying for. I'm driving in the road. I'm praying. I'm crying. And I don't know what I'm praying. I don't know what people thought on the highway. This guy's sobbing, going in the road probably thought a family member died or was driving to the funeral or something. I didn't even know what was going on. And somewhere during the day, um, I, I don't remember, it's been so long ago, we're talking about, we're talking about over 40 years ago, and uh, I must have called my brother's house to see, to tell him where I was or something like that. And I learned that that morning he had had a motorcycle ride. And he was in the hospital. I mean, he, he, he recovered, He's fine. he was fine later, but uh, all I can figure is that God was bringing me into the room of intercession for my brother. Now, uh, earlier this week, uh, I had an experience uh, that was a, was a you know, you, you, all God's stories don't have the same uh, excitement or, or interest, and so... Uh, this one is going to matter because it fits with another God story that you're going to hear in a moment. But um, some of you remember, uh, will, will know uh, Stephen Extract, who was here with, uh, he, he was in the Coast Guard with, uh, 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 with Zach Pfeffer and started coming to church. And uh, Stephen has had a, huge, a real physical trial. He had uh, uh, several back surgeries and is still in, a, uh, still in chronic pain today. 
And uh, we all care about Stephen and, and what he's going through. And Stephen is still in the area. And uh, on, uh, I believe it was Wednesday. I believe it was Wednesday that my days are running together a little bit. But I think it was Wednesday. His sister, who's perfect health, in great health, uh, she's also uh, a young, young lady. I don't know. She's probably uh, late 20s or something like that. And um, she had had a knee surgery, though, like two or three weeks ago. And she was in Newport, and all of a sudden, her, she told her father, I don't feel well. And the next thing you know, she was in a semi-conscious. And uh, they found out that they, they took, rushed her to the hospital, found out a blood clot had gone to her lungs and her, her heart. And they, they flew her to Leahy Hospital in Burlington. And so uh, I got the news, and I talked to Lori, the, her mother, and she said to me, I don't think she's getting any oxygen to her brain. And, uh, and I could tell that Lori was just desperate. She was just desperate. And uh, later I would learn that the doctor told them if she, the only way she could be worse is to be dead. And I'm driving, uh, late in the day, I'm driving to Burlington. And, I, I, you know, I don't know if you relate to this, but I just didn't feel the courage I just, my courage was, I just, what am I going to, because the, the extract family has been through so much, I guess, uh, I, I just didn't feel courage, I didn't feel the faith to do this, but I wanted to go because we care, of course. And uh, earlier in the week, Melissa uh, Mills had sent me her God story in the form of a video. And, you know, I'm, I've got this time driving, I thought, I'll, you know, kind of do my work. So I turned on the video, listened listen to it. Now, I didn't watch it. So just all you, all you safetyism um, religious people, just relax. I listened to her story, and she told the story of intercession and the story of God coming through. And man, that just built my faith. I said, that's exactly what I needed for this ride. That's exactly what I needed to hear today. And it was such a good story that uh, uh, I, I'm going to play it for you right now. Okay, my God story. This is one of my favorite stories. Uh, so my sister um, was a few years older than me. She had a, a drug problem, an alcohol problem, since she was about 12 years old. Um, and she was in all kinds of programs and got clean and, you know, found Jesus. And um, so after, you know, being on and off clean and not clean for a while, um, she got married and, and got pregnant. And one day she called me. Uh, she was six months pregnant and she had been clean through her pregnancy. She called me. I was in the drive through line of Dairy Queen, um, thankfully, by myself and she called me on a Thursday and she said, I'm, I'm so desperate. I, I'm going to go to the city. I'm going to get a fix. It's just going to be one time. The baby will be fine. I have to do this. I, I just, I have to. And I, I begged her, no, please think of the child. No, please. And she said, I'm going to go to church the Thursday service and then I'm going to the city. And I'll be home before my husband is and he won't even know. Well, of course, I got off the phone with her and in the Dairy Queen drive through line, 
prayed and, and pleaded and cried out to God with my entire heart and everything that I had and all the faith in the world I had and begged Jesus to intervene in the life of my sister and, and her unborn child. Um, and so what happened was uh, my sister went to her church service, um, which they had a regular Thursday night service, Christian church, and um, she decided that she was going to sneak out early from the church service. And so she got up towards the end, but the pastor was still up on stage speaking. She got up and she started leaving down the aisle and the pastor stopped his sermon and he said, Tina, Tina, I don't know why I'm doing this, but the spirit is telling me right now that you need to come up here to the altar and that we all need to pray for you. And she did. And they prayed for her and she ended up spending time with the pastor after the service and confessing everything to him that, that she was about to go use. And he said to her, in all of my decades of, of being a pastor, I have never interrupted one of my sermons in order to call out on somebody that was leaving <laughs> during the service. He said, but the Holy Spirit just pulled at my heart and told me that's what I needed to do. Um, and to make things even better, she actually confessed to her husband the truth of, of what happened that night too. So thank you, God, for intervening and for hearing my prayer um, and being there for my sister and, and my um, niece, who is now 15 years old. So praise God. So when people come to your mind, God is not just, he's depending on you by choice. He doesn't have to. He's depending on you by choice and privilege. You're being privileged to do the work of God. You're being privileged to partner with the creator of the world in doing something amazing in the world in saving somebody's life. Let's move on. Another thing that may be a bit more minor and not quite as dramatic, is that God shows up to include you in the ministry of inspiration. I don't know if you know it, but God loves to inspire you. God loves, as a scriptural term, there's several scriptural terms for this, but 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, let all things be done for building up. Anytime God tells you to do something, it's because that's what he does. God never tells you to do something that he doesn't do a lot more and a lot better than you do. But he's training you to rule in the kingdom. He's training you to be like him. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You're going to take over the family business someday. That's what's happening. When the Bible says in the world to come, we will rule and reign with Christ. He's teaching us the skills for running managing, reigning in the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? Uh, Donna Burrell gave me this little story. Some of you remember Donna and Dennis who were here for a while. And let me read it to you. On our travels in our motorhome, we get to experience amazing places. One such place is Fort Davis, Texas, the home of the McDonald's Observatory, which is known for the darkness of the sky in the dark, darkest of the night sky in the U.S. One of the events they host is called a star party. Our first trip to the observatory 
All such events were canceled due to the pandemic. We were disappointed, of course. However, on our way to Massachusetts this May, we found out that all events were now open. Sign us up. Well, we were very excited to see the night sky, both visually and through the telescope. So there we were, 60 or 70 other people, gathering outside. They broke the bad news to us that there would be no viewing tonight because there was a heavy cloud cover, and the weather predicted it wasn't going to change. Everyone was so disappointed, and I have to say, especially me. I looked around and decided to pray, asking God if he would just part the clouds for us. Remember the weather, folks? Said not possible. We started walking up where the viewing was supposed to take place. I looked up, and the clouds had parted. And I saw the brilliant sky filled with stars as far as you can see with the human eye. What? My immediate thought was one of such gratitude that God cared that all these people would get to see the night sky. We all did, and even got to see distant galaxies that you can only see through the telescope. Just about when the last people were done, all the clouds closed back, and we were unable to see a star in the sky. This is just one of many God stories. Oh, that night I prayed and believed with all my heart that God was pleased to display his amazing creation to Dennis and I and a whole group of people, a group of perfect strangers and brilliant astronomy folks who had no idea how that was possible. Ah, but I knew. <laughs> Don't minimize. Some of you, and I'll, I'll take a little rabbit trail right here. I know the times we're in are stressful. Everybody I talk to, is stressed. Everybody's tired. You're working at jobs that you're short-staffed. And all kinds of things going on. And all kinds of... And every, everywhere you look, there's stress. Look for those little signs of inspiration. Look for that song, that piece of art, that word from a friend, that, that movie, whatever. Look for those things that God will use to lift your spirits right now because God is in the business, the world is in the business of tearing you down. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you might have a life and that you have it more abundantly. Jesus is here to pick you up when the world puts you down. Amen? Finally, God shows up to include you in a life that blesses the world. This is about your purpose. Lord willing, in the fall, I'm going to preach an old series, but I'm going to go back to the purpose-driven life. Boy, it's really important to know you have a purpose. And the greatest God moments that I can think of are the ones where God shows you what you're here for. Someone said... Uh, the first greatest day in the, the, their life was the day they were born. The second greatest day is when they found out why. And God wants to tell you why you're here. Amen? The other day I introduced you to Squire Rushnell, the talented public figure who created a whole organization around the term Godwinks. And I didn't, I, that's a God story because I didn't know about Squire Rushnell. I'm so glad. I think I'm going to try to get him to come and visit us because he lives out on Martha's Vineyard. And surely, he, he's an old, older, older man now, but so am I. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, 
uh, his writings, his books he's written, they're not full of scripture because he's writing for a secular audience, but he is a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, Squire has inspired so many people with, with his Godwinks series. And he, he was a, an executive with ABC, as we're going to learn in a moment. And uh, I, I, want, I want you to hear this personal story. Uh, l- let me just give you one Squire Rushman story. When Squire was in the sixth grade, he visited a radio station in the little town of Adams Center, New York. And from that moment on, he was hooked. He wanted to be in broadcasting. So he drove his family crazy, go around the house, talking into a broom, conducting, uh, conducting pretend broadcasts. And uh, his local hero was this energetic disc jockey named Dean Harris. And uh, he would listen to Dean, and he would imitate Dean Harris. And when he was 15, he got an interview with a TV station uh, in, in Watertown, New York, 10 miles, 10 miles away. That's important to the story. And he got an interview with a Mr. Higgins, Jim Higgins. And um, his mode of transportation, now this is uh, these days, so any 15-year-olds are thinking about hitchhiking, don't do it. That was a while back when people hitchhiked. But his only way to get there was to do this, get on the road and start walking and do this. And as he's walking along, it's get, no cars are coming by, and he's worried about how he's going to make his appointment. Suddenly, a little green Volkswagen pulls over, and a guy, a balding guy, is in there and invites him to come in for the ride. And as they were driving along to his destination, he blurts out to this stranger why he was going and then where he was going. And the stranger said, you tell Mr. Higgins... I said, hello. He said, oh, by the way, my name's Dean Harris. He was the, he was the, um, this jockey, this local hero that he'd never met. And that's who picked him up and took him to his interview. And he was able to walk into the interview and say, I have a reference from Dean Harris. <laughs> now, I want to give you, uh, Squire has so many great stories. If you want to kind of take a break from the culture stuff, which I needed to do, and that's what I've done for these few weeks, uh, read, read Godwinks. Uh, Melissa Mills is going to, with her beautiful speaking voice, is going to read one, a, a great Godwinks story from Squire Rushnell. If, by the way, if you want your child to be really intelligent, name them Squire. <laughs> They're either going to get killed in elementary school or become intelligent. <laughs> okay. uh, testing? Holding his cool in the face of this aggressive inquiry, Murphy's deft... Oh, I, I forgot to set it up. Yeah. I didn't set the story up. Okay. What has happened, what has happened is Tom Murphy, the CEO and owner of, I believe it's Capital Broadcasting Group. I don't know if I said that quite right. But he, he, uh, they had bought ABC. And so Tom Murphy flies to New York from Los Angeles to have a meeting with all all the staff in New York. And during the meeting, uh, anchorman at that time was was, uh, Peter Jennings. And Peter Jennings asked this really in an aggressive tone, is, are you going to maintain news integrity at ABC? And Tom Murphy kind of uh, gave him a nice polite answer and as you'll learn in the story, he, he was taken aback. Yes, he held his cool in the face of the yeah. aggressive inquiry. <laughs> uh, Murphy's deft reply that television is a public trust and that it was the news operation of ABC that fosters the public's trust in it really impressed me, said Squire. 
As I left for the weekend with my family to our new country home in Connecticut, Murphy's comments helped me feel a bit more secure, slightly assured that this turning point in my life, 15 years with ABC, was going to turn out all right. He was leaving ABC. My daughter Hillary was visiting that weekend from college, and on Sunday morning she offered a soothing antidote to the tumult churning my nerve endings. She suggested we go to church. Great idea, said I. Then, as I was about to confess that we had not yet developed a church affiliation in the area, an image came to mind of the little church we had passed on the way over the mountain to the Grand Union in Pauling, New York. It sits up there like a quaint, black-shuttered, white-steepled New England church in a Grandma Moses' painting, I told her. Why don't we go there? It turned out to be a delightful experience and inaugurated a long commitment to a place of worship. During coffee hour on that first Sunday, several members of the congregation told how Lowell Thomas, the famed news broadcaster, had belonged to the church. They pointed to his burial place next to a big rock right behind the church. That in itself was a wink, which I failed to recognize until years later. The esteemed Lowell Thomas was the founder of Capital Cities Broadcasting, my new, my new employer. <laughs> Uh, the next day, I carried with me on a trip to my West Coast office warm thoughts about my visit to the little church on Quaker Hill. Upon arrival, I was surprised to learn that the new Capital Cities management team uh, was in Los Angeles, too. They were there that very day in order to replay for ABC's West Coast contingent, the same transition marks and new management introduction that had been presented the previous Friday to the East Coast staff. It was a smaller gathering, followed by a cocktail party that afforded me the first opportunity to meet Tom Murphy face to face, the man whom Time Magazine was heralding that very week as the most powerful man in broadcasting. Boldly attempting to score points with the new boss, I told him how impressed I was with his handling of Peter Jennings' question. A dark look instantly descended over his face. I shuddered, realizing that I had struck a sensitive chord. I've been thinking a lot about that question all weekend, he exclaimed in an irritated manner. I should have told Peter Jennings that with all our newspaper holdings, Cap Cities probably has more reporters than ABC. Therefore, why in the dickens would we want to change our news integrity? You're absolutely right, I chirped, his newest, most loyal sycophant. <laughs> then another thought entered my mind, something that would really impress the new boss. And you could have told him that Cap Cities was founded by that great broadcast journalist, Lowell Thomas, I said proudly. I wished I'd thought of that, he snapped approvingly. Now I was on a roll. As the image of the big rock by Lowell Thomas's grave popped into my mind, I unhesitatingly decided to tell Tom Murphy something he probably didn't know. That reminds me, Tom, I began. This weekend, my daughter and I went to a little church back east for the first time. And you know what? Lowell Thomas is buried right behind the church. The way he cocked his head and narrowed his eyes made me realize that Tom Murphy was about to tell me something I didn't know. <laughs> Squire, let me tell you what that little church on Quaker Hill means to me, he said. You know how you go out the front door of that church and look across the road at a big white house with black shutters? I nodded, my eyes dilating as that image came to mind. Well, that was Lowell Thomas's house that I was brought to. That house is where I was offered my first job at Cap Cities. Holy cannoli. 
Hours later, I was still shaking my head, incredibly astonished by what had happened over the course of a weekend and geographically across the country. The mathematical odds were slim that I would hear Tom Murphy speak for the first time in New York City on Friday, attend a little church for the first time in Quaker Hill, New York on Sunday, engage this man in conversation for the first time in Los Angeles on Monday to find that the common thread between us would be the small patch of land called Quaker Hill, where the most powerful man in broadcasting got his start. Don't you just want to start walking with God? Don't you just want to see if because God has God moments and God stories for every one of you. There's a young man. His name is Abraham Alivo. When he was eight or nine, his church in the Boston area, they had no keyboardist. Pastor David Marino looked around felt that God spoke to him and said, don't bring anybody from the outside. Pray for God to raise someone up right inside your own church. And so one service, eight or nine-year-old Olivo, uh, Abraham Olivo, went to church, and the pastor called him up and said, you are going to play the piano. I'm going to pray for you. Laid hands on him, a year later, he was able to play. Started playing in church, I think, a year later. Ended up with a full ride to Berkeley College of Music. Just completed a career as a naval musician and is completing his PhD in music. Um, would you like to hear him play? To see if God really answers prayer? And that, now, th this is going to be a test. This is going to be a test. This is a test for atheists. Okay, if there are any atheists in the room, I'm glad you're here, by the way. I'm thrilled that you would come to church. Really, seriously. If you've... But we're going to have a test, okay? If he plays terribly, if he makes any mistakes, okay, if he makes any mistakes, I will become an atheist. <laughs> if he doesn't, you have to become a Christian. Abraham Olivo, come and show us whether or not God answers prayer or not. Maybe all those people were wrong. The Navy, Berkeley, maybe they just didn't know what they were talking about.
Would you like to start walking with God? Tell me. Some of you are in this room and you don't walk with God. You do not live with an awareness of God's presence. I want to I want to appeal to you right now. For those of us who have made that move to walk with God in this room, it's based on the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That He opened the door for everyone to have access to the Heavenly Father and more importantly to give the Heavenly Father access to us. Those of us in this room who've made that decision to walk with God have done that because of something that happened on a royal rugged cross 2,000 years ago. When our sins were forgiven, when, our, uh, when, our, when, uh, when we became alive unto God, the Scripture says, the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But we've been made alive together with Christ. So those of us in this room who are telling these God stories and who have evidences of God moving in our lives, greater evidence than any other evidences or apologetics as we use the word theologically, any other evidence, the greatest evidence that there is a God is because He lives in our lives. Because He answers prayer. Because He moves in mysterious and wonderful and awesome ways. And because we can totally trust Him. But I'm concerned about those this morning who haven't taken that step to walk with God. Yes, I believe in heaven and hell, but it's even, even beyond that. I believe in life here on earth. I believe in life more abundantly. I believe in a life that's available to you that's the best life possible if you will begin to walk with God. And I'm going to do something now that we don't always do, and you don't have to do this in order to walk with God. But I just feel like for somebody in this room, maybe two or three or four, maybe only one, and I know that would feel kind of lonely, but for, I believe there are some people here that if you, if you came forward, it would, it would seal the deal. It, it, you, the devil would never be able to cause you to doubt that you did it. If you stay back at your seat, he might go, oh, you didn't really do anything. But if you, will, if you will come forward in a minute after I pray, and I, I, I'm going to just say a quick prayer with you up here, and then I'm going to let you go. Right now, right now, would you think about opening your life up to the reality of God? Not some far distant uh, uh, intellectual idea, but a living presence that you can, you can pray for somebody at the hospital. By the way, when we got to, I got to the hospital the other day, I mean, it was amazing. This nurse comes out, and she was sent from God, I'm telling you, and she starts to talk to the family. She spent about 20 minutes with us and starts to give assurance, and she made a couple of references to God as she talked, and that's very unusual. And they, But she did say they put her on a machine called ECMO machine that pumped her blood, breathed for her and all of that. She said, she, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. She'll be on this at least a week. She was off that machine in 48 hours. They, they removed the tracheal tube and she's going to be okay. You know? 
If you start walking with God, you'll, you'll, you'll have that time when you, when you pray for your sister or your brother, and God will come through. You might even learn to play the piano. I don't know. Maybe not, but maybe. <laughs> but it's going to be good. Okay, I'm going to, right now, I'm going to pray a short prayer, and then I'll pray another prayer when you get here. Father, I pray that you'll deal with hearts right now and bring people to the foot of the cross to begin to walk with God. Get out of your seat and come up if you want to walk with God. I just want to tell you guys sort of the next chapter of the God story of Abraham, Olivo. Because when you're standing here, you need to have an expectation that God engages in every little thing that's going on in your life. You know, Stephanie um, did a great job last year filling in for BCA Music. And we were so grateful that uh, when Carla Correa got sick, God provided Stephanie. But because of another God story called Anchor, <laughs> which we can't tell that story, but because of that story, Stephanie knew she wanted this next year to be able to focus on being Anchor's mom. And so we had a big empty spot for music. I always get up at four in the morning and that particular morning I woke up and I decided to pray specifically for God to send someone who could teach music at BCA. Because it's the only thing I know to do when there's, when there's a, a vacancy like that. Um, and so got up and prayed. About 10 that morning, I got a text. Dear Mrs. Sherry, there's somebody I think I want you to meet. He's getting out of the Navy, plays piano, he's great. And I feel like God has told me to put you two together. And the rest of the story... <laughs> When Abraham and I were meeting to talk about him coming to BCA to be a music teacher, he was getting a job offer for the White House. But I'm going to tell you something. God's house is bigger than the White House. So you're standing here. I don't know what you need your God story to be. For some of you, you can't tell us. But I'm going to tell you. You and God have a conversation. And at the end of that conversation, you put your trust that he loves you, he cares for you, and his plan is bigger than the plan you could ever imagine, could ever think, could ever describe to people. And those of you that are praying for someone you love to come to know Jesus, to commit their life to Jesus, I'm going to tell you something. God is at work. God is at work. I'm going to pray for each one of you here today. and I'm sure there are different stories as to why you're up here 
Maybe it's somebody here who never, never crossed that line of faith before and uh, obviously have an interest or maybe a, a friend just brought you. That's possible. But most likely you have some interest in God or is why you're here today. And uh, maybe there's somebody here who's lost their way. You, you, you knew the Lord. You walked with God. But uh, life, life happened like it happens to all of us. Or you fell into sin or you fell into temptation or stress or whatever. And uh, I just, uh, God is going to meet you right now. God is going to meet you. That's his promise that he will dwell in our hearts. That's his promise that he will fill us with his spirit. That's his promise. So uh, I'm going to pray for you right now that God will, that that transaction will be completed right now. And, it, and it's not, it's more than a transaction. It's the beginning of a relationship. That's what it is. Let me pray for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for my friends who are courageous enough to walk out in front of everybody and say, I need to start walking with God. And I know there's that person who is walking for the first time. They took that walk today. There's others here today that have stumbled in their walk. There are those, there's someone here in this, in, the, in this front of this room who realizes, and that's what I believe they said in their hearts, I've, I've never really walked with God. I've had a belief. I've had a theology. But I've never really walked and talked with Him. I've never really expected Him to show up and do things in my life. I've never really expected Him to guide me and direct me. But I want to I move into that real relationship with you, God. God, I remember what we said in this message today. I remember those words. Life isn't meant to be a problem we solve, but a relationship we enter. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for my friends here today that they will, will just stop trying to solve all of life's problems. Because every time we solve one problem, a new one comes to take its place. Because that's life. Life has problems. We're not here today to solve our problem, all of our problems. We're here today to enter into a relationship with an almighty, all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God who numbers the very hairs of our head, who sees every sparrow fall, and regardless of how it may seem at times, is very much in love with us. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how you express worship. Some people, some of us raise our hands, but would you express worship to that God right now? Everyone, everybody out there too, express worship to the God of all gods. Thank you, Jesus.